0: So this morning, I want you to turn uh, in the book of Acts to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. We've been going through Acts verse by verse, and this morning, I want to do two things, okay? Um, It was mentioned that we've had two great chapters as a church, and as we come up on this 15-year anniversary today, we really, it feels, are entering chapter three. So the two things I want to do this morning are, one, I want to study Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10, okay? We're going to study God's Word. And I want to do that well and carefully, and I want to apply it the right way and all of that, okay? Um, The second thing that I want to do is I want to share with you the vision that, that I believe God is calling our church to in this third chapter. So, you know, Fellowship Raleigh 3.0 vision, if you will. And, And I want to do that in a way that is tied in with our study of Acts chapter 16. And so before we dive into Acts 16 and before I read it, I just want to ask a question. What is this passage mainly about? Now, I know we haven't read it yet, but we will in just a second. But before we even get there, I want you to already be thinking about when we read it, what's it even about? Like what is the main thing that this passage is about in the Bible. The, let me just tell you, there, there really, I think, are two options for us to answer that question this morning. And the first one is to say that this passage is about personal guidance. Here's why I say that. In the passage, you will see this morning when we read it, there's, there's like this whole journey that they're on and there are closed doors that they encounter. You know, they're trying to go this way, closed door. Trying to go that way, closed door. And then they get to this place and then they have a vision and God tells them, actually, I want you to go do this. And so it's like closed door, closed door, open door. And most of the time when this passage is taught, it is taught in this way. Meaning it's about personal guidance from God. And there certainly is a lot that we can learn about that subject from this passage. And We will get some truth on that today. The second option for what this passage is about, and again, I mentioned already that that they have a dream, they have a vision from God where he tells them what to do in this passage. We're going to read it in a moment. And so the second option really, I think, would be to view this passage as God overriding our small plans. Okay? Okay. Here's why. Here's why I believe it is the second option. Okay? Always put the correct answer last when you're listing options of answers to a question. Um, Here's why I think that's it. Number one, the nature of visions. Oftentimes in the Bible, and maybe all the time, but when God interrupts natural reality with a supernatural vision, it is to directly intervene and override our human nature. Think of already in the book of Acts where God had to give Peter and Ananias a vision to get them to come together, a Jew from Jerusalem and a Gentile. Override human nature. Often that is the nature of a vision. And so as we look at this passage, I think it's helpful to remember that God is probably overriding Their small plans, what they thought they should do wasn't what God really wanted, and he's overriding it. Here's what I mean. If you remember, if you were here last couple of weeks, Paul set out to go encourage Christians. He said, hey, let's go to the places where we've already led some people to the Lord, and let's see how they're doing, and let's encourage them and strengthen them. Nothing wrong with that. There's always more encouragement that we can do, right? There's nothing wrong with that. And as Paul, in this passage we're about to look at, is trying to go do that in different places, God keeps closing doors. It's almost as if, while that is a great plan that Paul has, God wants him to do that, but also to do more. And so he's leading him toward a port city where he will, at that port, have a vision of him crossing that sea to reach people even more lost and further from Christ. And so that's that's a reason why I think this passage is about God overriding our small plans. Even if you think about the development of Acts so far, the, everything has been moving away from Jerusalem. Acts 1:8 says, "You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth." And you have seen, in one through seven, it's Jerusalem. In eight through 12, it's Judea and Samaria. And then in 13 through 15, where we just were, they're on what is like the modern-day Turkey. They're in that area. All of Paul's attempts that we see in this passage, where God closes the door include him staying in that land area. And yet God closes those doors, leads him all the way across that part of the world to a port that the gospel for the first time might enter Europe. That's what happens here in this passage. Now, it wasn't Europe then. They didn't have the same divisions of continents, okay? So for Paul, he was just crossing the Aegean Sea to go to a different province in the Roman Empire. But God knew that would be Europe. God knew all that was going to happen there, John Stott says, with the benefit of hindsight, knowing that Europe became the first Christian continent and was until fairly recently the main base of missionary outreach to the rest of the world, we can see what an epic-making development this was. So let me just go ahead and read the passage. I've teased it enough. Acts 16, 6 through 10. It's called the Macedonian call. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Bow with me for a brief prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for the word that we have just read. Help us to understand it rightly, to apply it rightly. And Father, would you, Lord, this morning, give us a bigger vision for our lives and for our church than we have? God, give us your vision. Give us your heart for the lost of our city, for the lost of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So you just saw in that passage that we just read, this Macedonian man saying, come over here and help us. It was in Paul's dream, right? There are 1.5 million people in the Raleigh area. 40, 45 to 50,000 college students in the city of Raleigh. Most of these people, listen, are not Christians. Most of these people are not Christians. Most of these people are not followers of Christ, and they are not in any way encountering the biblical, true Jesus, and they will not. Why? What's the problem? Why the lostness and the lack of probable opportunity to encounter the true Christ? I believe there's a couple of reasons contributing to this in our city. One is many Christians are following what I would call the voice of the progressive religious left. And that results in So-called Christians who in their lives are worldly, not holy, and are Bible-denying. And so how can they share with one of the 1.5 million people the true Christ? And so if that's a problem, you know what is also a problem? The other extreme. The many following the voice of the rigid religious right. Whereas maybe there's Bible denying over here, there's unnecessary Bible policing over here, policing the temple, unchrist like spirits. And because of these two extremes, and so many professing Christians in churches that are following those voices, the gospel in our city for the 1.5 million people is obscured. And people are not encountering the true Christ. There's one other voice that people are following, and I would just call it the non-voice of the busy, hurried, and internally focused Christian or church. So just consider with that how many of the 1.5 million people in our city, a city surrounded by church steeples, will go to class, to work, to sleep tonight, believing they have heard the best Christianity has to offer and that the church has nothing new, nothing relevant, and nothing real to offer them. And so... I want to put this picture of Raleigh before us as we think about this dream that Paul had of this Macedonian man saying, come over and help us. I believe much like Macedonia or even Europe, Raleigh is an important mission field that God wants to reach. I believe God is at work in our city, stirring in people's hearts who are not yet Christian. I believe there's a major need and opportunity in Raleigh to speak up with a biblically solid and Christ-like voice in our city. I believe Fellowship Raleigh is uniquely equipped and called to this ministry, but more about that vision in a moment. So let's look again, let's dive back into Acts 16 for a moment. So there are just some uncanny parallels between this passage and what I think is really going on uh, for our church. And I don't want to, you know, bring uh, the life of Fellowship Raleigh or our lives into the Bible and make the Bible all about us, because it's not. Every passage of the Bible has a meaning that is timeless, right? And and, and we want to honor that and respect that. But at the same time, we know that, that God speaks to specific Christians and specific churches. Look in Revelation 3 and 4, where God speaks specifically to certain churches. Okay? So I just think the parallels are uncanny and we don't want to miss them today. But here's the first point. The first point is this zigzag and closed doors, verses 6 through 7. So look with me for a moment again at verses 6 through 7. And let's consider this. And they went, that's Paul and Timothy and Silas, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So quickly, I just want to show you a map because, you know, it's fun to look at Bible maps. Um, so you see this map? This is the journey that's being described right here. So, so they are moving across. You see the word Asia there. They're not in Asia. It says they tried to go into Asia, but they weren't allowed. But they're going through that part of what is modern-day Turkey, and, and they try to go southward, southeastward, toward Asia. And what does it say? It says in verse 6, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit, to speak the word in Asia. Hmm. I wonder what that looked like. How, how did God forbid them? You know, did a prophet come and say no? Did someone get sick and so it was just circumstances, but they saw that as God forbidding them? Was there a you know, an arrest warrant put out for them in Asia and they couldn't go? Who knows? We don't know. They didn't tell us. But then you can see, they, after that, Paul said, all right, well, let's go north then. Let's go up to Bithynia. And then verse 7 addresses that. When they had come up to Mys- Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So for all of us, sometimes we have this picture of like you know, the disciples, the people in the Bible, they always just like knew exactly what they were supposed to do. And they obviously didn't. I mean, this is a major zigzag. Like, Paul, do you not pray? Like, why do you not know where you're supposed to be going? Just like us, just people, just just doing the best they can, thinking what's next? What are we supposed to do? We've got to be flexible with our plans and open to how God may lead us in our life, right? Don't we see that here? Isn't God, through this part of Acts, showing the early church and us today that lesson? Even though we're expected to be leaders, to have plans, to make decisions, to be on a mission, all the rest, all of that, we've got to remember God is the ultimate leader. And he will guide and direct us where he wants us to be. Sometimes it's like this. You know, you've maybe seen this image before, what people think success looks like and what it really looks like. This is kind of like Paul's second missionary journey. Proverbs 16.9 says it best. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so, as I said, there's uncanny parallel. I mean, this is what's happening in Acts 16. But I would like to say that this past season... For our church, if you want to say, chapter 2 of Fellowship Raleigh, it's been glorious, it's been great, but it's been hard. There have been things we would have liked to do, but zigzag, God had other plans. We would have hoped to do more outreach, but there was a global pandemic. We were blessed with a facility, and it took a lot of work. Other challenges have made it necessary for us to be in this mode of getting steady and getting established. Many families having lots of young children. It's hard. It's a season. None of it's wrong. I'm thankful for all of it. But it's time for us to take the next step. And if we don't sense it, don't worry. God will override it second point. God dreams and next steps. Verse eight through nine. So passing by Mysia, so we're, we're sort of following them through what is modern day Turkey. They tried to go south to Asia. They tried to go north to Bithynia. They're not going to go backwards. So what option do they really have at this point? Keep going forwards. It says, and a, so they get to Troas. This is a port city on the Aegean Sea. As they sit there, On modern-day Turkey's coastline, looking out into the Aegean Sea, across the sea is what would be modern-day Greece and Europe. So a vision, intro as, right? A vision appeared to Paul in the night of a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Think about the profoundness of this. Doesn't it give every Christian confidence in every age to see how the Spirit of God is at work in Macedonia before the team even got there? Also, make a note of the great priority God places on the lost. And how he leads Paul and his team with not one, but two closed doors that would have kept them where they were. And now with a dream, pulls and prompts and pushes them to cross the Aegean Sea, go further away from Jerusalem, the furthest the gospel has ever gone, here in Acts. Amazing. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Who do you think this Macedonian man is? What did he look like? Well, he must have looked culturally Macedonian for Luke writing here in the book of Acts to say that the vision was a Macedonian man. I mean, I don't know. what, What would you say? Like if you had a dream and you're trying to tell someone about your dream, and you're like, yeah, it was a person from Raleigh. Like, What would they look like? Or it was a person from New York. What would they look like? So, so that's happened here. So they, they, he, this man must have looked culturally Macedonian. He doesn't say, hello, I'm from Macedonia. He doesn't say that. He just says, come over here and help us. But Luke and Paul, and they knew it was a Macedonian man. Some people think It was Alexander the Great, who had at this time already passed away a long time before. But the city they were in, Troas, actually the full name of that city is Alexander Troas. They're about to sail across the Aegean Sea to a city called Philippi, which is named after King Philip, Alexander's father. Alexander the Great, the most famous Macedonian. Maybe in the dream that Paul had, it was Alexander the Great saying, I need the help of Jesus. Please come. Who knows? We don't know. What we do know is God loves the Macedonian. In all of the ways that the Macedonian appears, Macedonian, God loves the Macedonian. It's an awesome picture. So God gives Paul a vision two closed doors. Now, here it is. This is it. This is what we're supposed to do. And so I've already mentioned to you this morning the great gospel need in our city, the city of Raleigh, and the problem and the opportunity that is here. I even alluded to how I believe Fellowship Raleigh is uniquely equipped and called And so I want to hear, pause, and share, you know, as I have sought the Lord in prayer, in our own sort of, I guess, troas moment, and as our elders have done the same, and as we've talked and prayed over vision, I want to share with you what we believe the next chapter of Fellowship Raleigh is to look like. Again, as the video pointed out, in the first chapter, we planted a church. We learned how to do ministry. In the second chapter, God established us. We got a building. We made it through a pandemic. We got a foundation upon which to do ministry. But now, in this third chapter, we believe God is calling us to be a Christ-like voice in our city and to be a community of passionate disciples who are not inward focused, but mobilized for our city as his ambassadors. What if instead of Bible policing and Bible denying, there was a biblically solid and Christ-like voice in our city, loud and clear enough that people could hear, helping people truly encounter the real Christ in the compelling truth of God's Word? What if in the years ahead in Raleigh, Christians with their minds and hearts shaped by the truth of the Word lived in every cul-de-sac, modern house, modern condo, every dorm, worked in every office building at every company and in every school? helping the 1.5 million people encounter the true Christ. A Christ-like voice in our city. A community of passionate disciples who are mobilized for our city. This is the picture of the next chapter of our church and where we are going. The slide is just showing you the new vision video that you can go look at. Point three, called to action. So zigzag and closed doors, God dreams and next steps. And now point three, our last point, called to action. Verse 10. So look at verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What do you see here? Well, first of all, it's interesting that it says they concluded. It means that they really thought about it. It wasn't just like Paul had the vision and then they're like, all right, that's it. They concluded. They brought together all of the circumstances and experiences that had been going on like puzzle pieces. And they concluded, plural, they, not just Paul, they concluded This is what God is calling us to do. So what might some of those things have been that they brought together, like these puzzle pieces? One would be the doors that were closed. God seems to be moving us in a particular direction. One big thing would be the vision that Paul had. Another thing would be the fact that they're in a port city looking at the ocean, and they're thinking, I think it might be to go over there. That's why people come to the city, to go over there. Look at the example of their obedience. What does it say? Do you see that key word? Immediately. Immediately. We often say in our home, the definition of obedience is doing what you are told to do without challenge, excuse, or delay. Immediately. Immediately. They're just like, let's go, we've got it. God's will is clear, what are we waiting for? Immediately, what does it say they do? Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, to the people this Macedonian man represented as he said, come and help us. It's interesting that he asked for help. But as followers of Christ, they knew what they were called to do was to help in every way, and first, by preaching the gospel to them. That they might know Christ in this land, and that they might have their deepest needs met first, eternal life with God, forgiveness of sin, And the entailments of preaching that gospel would be to help them in many ways. But their conclusion from being asked to help is to go and preach the gospel. So, what does that mean for our church? As we consider vision. Here's the question I've been asking. What can we do right now that will be An unmistakably strong first step toward taking us where God is calling us. What focus for this year could we rally around that will get us out of our homes, out of chapter two of establishing, out of our comfort zone, and listen, out of ourselves? And as I've asked that question, there is a huge open door and an actual ask for help. And I would just say that the call to action for this year in a single focus, not the only thing we'll do, but a focus that helps us align the things that we're doing, is to love Ligon. Love this school called Ligon Middle School, this inner city middle school in southeast Raleigh. And here's why I say this, we recently had the principal, Mr. Duvall, come to our fellowship midweek gathering. And what did he say? What did he say? Come and help us. Kind of a Macedonian call almost. After some zigzagging and some closed doors and some Seasons of focus on us. Here we are in Troas. Come help us. And it's not just about being a mentor in a mentor program. My hope is to get every single person that attends our church onto the campus of Ligon soon. This is for our youth group to think through what does it mean for them, for our kids' ministry, for the primetimers, for college ministries, to think through what does it look like provide that help, to love this place. You say, that's a little bit of a narrow focus. Exactly. Exactly. Gone are the days of broad focus. Let's aim for every target and hit none. Ligon is a miniature Raleigh. If you can reach Ligon, you can reach the 1.5 million people. A school where kids get out of Teslas, coming from Morrisville with their orchestra instrument, and go right into class and sit next to a kid that got out of their family's car that they live in because they're homeless. You know, one of the verses that has been really impactful for me as I've prayed about this next season for our church is Isaiah 61, verse 1. And this is the verse that Jesus quotes when he inaugurates his ministry in the synagogue in Luke 4. But he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And of course, you know, this is Jesus and we're not Jesus. We are not the Messiah. But as his church in the body of Christ, in his hands and feet, are we not to in some ways embody and point our lives toward a similar mission? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. The vision is for seven years. It's for the whole entire next chapter of our church. This loving ligand piece is a piece of that. It's the strategy. It's the focus. It's the it's the decisive first step that will help us launch into this next chapter. I pray you'll be part of it. There's a song called Beautiful Feet by Lecrae, and it is a rap song, and I'm not going to try to rap it, but I'll try to have like a little rhythm as I read it to you. But he, he quotes this Isaiah 61, and, and I just think it's so relevant to this challenge before us. In Luke four sixteen on down to 21, Jesus says he's the Messiah, says he's the chosen one. But more than that, he quotes Isaiah that shows our Savior targets oppressed, captive, blind, and the broke, I'm saying. Had a heart for the poor, had a heart for the low, and 1st John 2:6 is the way we should go. I ain't saying you wrong if you live in the burbs. I'm saying turn your attention to the hood cuz we hurt. Man, if you ain't burdened, pick up your burden. Though this world is going down, while we here we can serve. Them. It says you never knew the streets, but the truth is what you preach. I pray to God, you be burdened for beautiful feet. Who would minister in this sinister part of town? I pray if Jesus is calling you, you will be found. So I want to show you one more thing in this passage. There's something that happens in the book of Acts that probably you wouldn't have seen. But at a certain point in the book of Acts, Luke, who is writing the book of Acts, he joins Paul. Uh, scholars call the, these the we passages, meaning that it's all third person and then all of a sudden it's first person. It happens for the first time in verse 10. It says this, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, looks like, I got in that boat. We sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called, here it is, us to preach the gospel to them. And so will you first person personalize God's call to action to reach the lost who are asking for help right in front of you? That's really the question. And so as we close We've reflected on zigzagging, closed doors, God's dreams, next steps, and a call to action. Bow with me. I want to close in prayer, and I have a couple of application questions to ask you.